Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God is a kingdom with a king, yes. But it's a kingdom of a father. Most people struggle with that. Due to the deformities of past, due to the reality that most people don't grow up with an image of the father that would represent the father well. I don't know what your deformity is when you came to Christ. I know that Jesus wants to fix it. Jesus said, he said he came revealing the Father. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal the Father and everything he did, whether he touched the woman with the issue of blood after 12 years and she got healed, where he touched the beggar and got healed, where he set the demoniac free, everywhere he went, he fixed. He brought healing and wholeness. Everywhere he went and every time he did that, he was revealing the Father. Get that? And yet most of the image of fathers in this world, because of brokenness and because of the result of sin that has ravished and brought deformity, most of the image of fathers is brokenness. Most of the image of fathers is those who break. They break up families, they break lives, they break noses, they break futures, they break. I had a friend in Durban, his memory, he had a brother who struggled with a mental disability and his memory of four years old is his brother going to his dad at, at three and a half of turning four and asking his dad if he was getting a birthday present. And the birthday present he got was a punch on the nose that broke his nose. And he put that little boy in a cupboard. So my friend who was a year older went at his dad at five years old. He got so beaten up and bruised he got taken away from home for three months because his father got stuck into him. And Jesus says, I come not to reveal myself. I come to reveal the Father who is a fixer, the one who gets involved, who brings wholeness and healing. And he gets inside of our deformities and he takes our very deformities and transforms them in his grace and his glory. And we look at something like a young man playing, he loves us with his toes. And we think, oh, wow, God. But it's the picture of us. With all our deformities, we came to the cross. With all our brokenness, we ran to this cross. We fell on our knees and he said, I'm bringing wholeness and healing to you. I am a father who draws you in. Augustine said, the entire Bible can be encapsulated in these two words, in these few words, the entire Bible. The Father loves you. Oh, Mark, that's too simplistic. We've heard this message. The heart, Father, heart of God, we've heard this message. Yes, sir and ma'am, we've heard this message. But I see the brokenness of the effects of a lack of understanding of this very issue every time I meet with people. And every day we walk because we still live like freed slaves who are on the, on the boundary of getting pulled into slavery if we're not already unless we fully understand what it means to be pulled in by the Father into sonship. And we live in a society that actually celebrates brokenness. We live in a planet of orphans. God sent His Son to break into the mess because we lived in a planet that was broken by orphans. And we see brother against brother the minute they leave the garden. We see brokenness. And we see having to work and strive. So having to strive and plow the garden because we struggle to trust the provision of the Father. So we continually strive and we keep acting like orphans. And we have so accepted the orphan nature and the orphan behavior as the norm that the church have bought into the lie that it's acceptable and it's okay. It's not okay. And we celebrate 
movie stars and all these characters and people who behind the scenes, their lives are a mess and they're on the third floor wife and they can never keep a relationship together. But because they've made it an area of their chosen profession, the world celebrates them and we celebrate sports stars and we don't ask the questions, what's happening behind the scenes? How much brokenness, how much lies, how much is happening behind the scenes? We just look at the front face, the front mask, and we buy into the lie where actually we are celebrating brokenness. Because behind that victory, behind that achieving, is a striving again to be seen, a striving to be above your brother, a striving that is no different to an orphan in an orphanage where there's only so much food so you've got to grab and you've got to take today because you don't trust the Father for tomorrow. I don't know why I'm shouting. (laughs) I'm just really excited. Because when I see men and women get this, when I got this, it changed everything. It changed everything. You know the story, most of you. My parents lost everything when I was 19 years old. I went from quite a privileged child to having absolutely nothing. And it put a limp in me. And I went from someone who was generous to someone who lacked generosity completely. Because I've got to make sure I don't end up in the space again. Until the grace of God broke in and he revealed his generosity over and over again. And I realized I just called to live this life. Be called to enjoy him. The call of the son is to enjoy him. Not to jump through hoops. Not to attend more meetings. Not to do all these things. But to enjoy God. I am enjoying my kids. I have three wild savages. In the nicest possible way. They are all completely unique. My little Ben-Ben is a bundle of affection. I can get into his bed and I can snuggle him and he'll push himself into me and I love it. And then I get into Judah's bed and he pushes me away with his feet because that's who he is and he's not a snuggler. But if I get into a wrestle with him, I can wrestle him for two hours and enjoy him and he can enjoy me. We are called to enjoy God. And we keep thinking about God as the master who kept us in the chains. And unless we keep jumping through the hoops, he doesn't enjoy us and we cannot have a relationship. And he says, son, I just want you to enjoy me. Daughter, I want to enjoy relationship with you. And the church struggles with this. Had a man come to me this week and he's from another nation so culturally church is done differently and God has been gracious last week he got healed from an ailment we prayed for him he got healed which is wonderful and it's exciting to see there are more healings taking place in the community but he came to me because of his learning and understanding of church and the father said how do I bring up my great my gratefulness offering or something because where it comes from there's this whole procession and it's laid at the feet of the man of the hour of the power and all that jazz And I said, I didn't do it. The Father did it. You want to give? You don't have to give, but if you want to give, give to the Father. Pour out your love from, enjoy Him, come into relationship with you. The reason He deals with your deformities is He can come into relationship with us and we can walk with Him. Is this making sense? This is the Father. Mark Stibbe writes this, and he's talking about the Father who is the head of the kingdom. He says, it means there is no one bigger than our dad. Slide number four, just a rule of. He reigns, he rules, and he rocks. He flung stars into space. He fashioned the blazing sun and deep lagoons of cloud and cluster. He created the planets, the constellations, and the galaxies. He conceived the Milky Way, the Helix Nebula, and the Pleiades. He made bubbles and arcs and nebulae and auras. 
He paints supernovas in effervescent colors and stellar jets in iridescent glory. He outthinks the physicist and dazzles the theologian. He preoccupies the astronomer and inspires the poet with abundant wonder. He is beyond the reach of the, hum- of the astronomer and what? He is beyond the reach of the Hubble telescope or the probing range of the orbiter. He is what Einstein called the superior reasoning power and the Bible calls the father of heavenly light. He is my dad. He is your dad, our dad who is in heaven, the third heaven, who dwells in unapproachable light and who will one day make his home with us on this tiny dot called earth. That's my dad. That's the one who reached into your brokenness and my brokenness and brought healing and wholeness. You see, what sin does, it deforms. It brings lies and the lies enable us and end take us on to, to deformity. That's where it ends up, and brokenness. We look at these children and we think, oh, shame, they're deformed. And there's something that cries out, and there has to be a picture. The greatest picture for us there, the greatest thing we would understand is that that's how he took us. He reached into the mess of our lives. He didn't go to a lineup and these kids walled, and there's a, there's a good one and there's a bad one. That's what slave masters do. They lined the slaves up with no clothes on in complete humiliation. And they walked up and down and they chose the strongest with the best teeth and the best hair. That's how a slave master chooses a slave. But a father chooses a son because he loves, because he sees deep inside and he hears the cry for love. And it's completely different. That is the gospel. And we leave the gospel at the cross and we make it about we're just free and we can get away just far enough so we stay away from the chains. It's too small a picture of the Father. It's too small a view of what He's called us to do. And so we get caught up with other chains. Serving in the church can be a chain if it's not done because you're a son, if it's not done just to please Him. It's a chain. And He's calling us to freedom. And he's calling us to understand what it is that he celebrates. And he says, not only have I just done this and not have I just adopted you, but, but we kind of live, well, well maybe I'm going to be good enough one day. So if I keep reading my Bible, I keep doing these things, and these are all good things to do. But if I keep doing these things, one day he'll, he'll really own me. And my Bible says in Ephesians 3, he says, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. See, I am a fun pletzen, whether I like it or not. People can't spell it. When they phone over the phone, they never get it, ever. Travel overseas, they just think you're weird. Why not Smith or something people get? I am a fun pletzen. Apparently, we were pirates on the Rhine. Apparently. I didn't choose my history, I inherited it, just because of that name. But then I had a father on earth, he said, well, he's going to be called Mark Carl. Carl is the second name of my father, and it's Judah's second name. He's going to be called Mark Carl. You see, we inherit a history, but we are given a future in Jesus. We are given a name that determines, doesn't matter how we came into this kingdom, doesn't matter what darkness we walked in from, doesn't matter how deformed we were, we walked in. He says, from today, your history is mine. Your inheritance is mine. This is the gospel. It's unbelievable. That's why. And he says, I'm... Because your history is in Him, your future is a promise in the Father. 
if you will trust him. That song we spoke about is trust. It's the trust of a son. It's the trust of a father throwing a son up and catching him. I hear these crazy stories. I don't know. It's because of my job. Had, um, there's a man in our church, and, and his parents decided to have eight kids, but they could only afford to go on holiday once a year, and they could afford to take two kids with them. And I'm sitting with this man. He's got, he's got a PhD. He's a super bright man. So they could only afford to take two kids with them. So they chose based on the two kids who got the best school results. And I said, well, tell me about your brothers and sisters. He said, well, three could never make their grades, so they just gave up. They never finished school. They just gave up because they couldn't jump the hoops. Five of us went to become highly, highly educated, postgraduate degrees. But all of them deformed because they do not understand the love of a father. And the Spirit of God has to break into our deformities. And the Word of God has to wash over our brokenness from the top of our heads to the bottom of our toes and reveal the glory of Jesus and what He did in revealing the wonder of my Father, your Father, our Father. And we live, and, and these things have to be outworked. I said this morning, they, and, and we're just going to look at a bunch of things that are signs and symbols of what it means to con continually live as an orphan. And we see the picture and the story of Oliver Twist and he comes and all the kids are looking at him but while he's going to ask for more, we know the story. It's like he's doing something shameful by asking for more. And so most of us and most of the church live like their shame of their past has been delivered where actually it's the shame of their future too. Which means we feel no shame when we approach the throne of grace and we ask for more grace. There's no shame in that. My boys feel no shame to ask for more. Nothing. And you can see it. Sometimes it's like, can we ask for that? He hasn't just dealt with the shame of my past. He's dealt with the shame of my future so that I can approach the throne of grace asking for more, like a son. It changes everything. It means we are shameless. I told this morning, my parents used to own a residential hotel. And... Um, it meant they cooked and 120 people ate there, mostly breakfast and, and supper, but lunch was also served. And my mom was, she would oversee the catering, but because my name was Van Pletzen and my dad was the main guy, I could go anywhere. And my favorite thing to do was walk straight into the hotel. My first place to go would be the kitchen. And Tulani was the chef for many, many years. And Tulani knew there was only run, one reason I walked in that kitchen is because I was looking for custard. And not that box stuff you get from Woolworths or Checkers or Pick and Pay. Not that stuff. The stuff where they cook it on a stove and it's hot and it forms that skin on top. I love that custard topping. And because my name was Van Petsen, I could walk in the kitchen. Because the name was Van Petsen, I could walk up to Lonnie and he would give the whole thing to me. Because of my name, do we understand what it means to be an heir of God? Because we understand if I say, well, I'm going to be an heir of Richard Branson, we know what that means. We're going to be an heir of the Sultan of Brunei. We know it means gold Audis, gold-plated Audis with bling everywhere. But what does it mean to be an heir of God? We cannot fathom because it's unbelievable.
but it means God's got to deal with some things because Origen said, there's only two ways we come to God, in servitude or sonship. Servitude, we see God as a master. God is someone we're jumping through the hoops. He's the one choosing us on a lineup based on how good we are. You've seen, I don't know if you've seen that movie, 12 Years a Slave. Don't watch it unless you're prepared to be disturbed. And the slaves get lined up naked in complete humiliation as people buy their slaves. And the problem is, if we keep working for this Father's love, we like those slaves. We are jumping up there, putting ourselves there, saying, Master, choose us. And he says, I'm not a master, I'm a father calling out my sons. It's different. And so I'd like to just put up slide number nine, Ruloff. And we printed them out this morning. They all went, sorry, we ran out of paper. So I can print out some more some Sunday night. But are we, we are on this journey, and I'm telling you, for all of us, every day, all the time, there is a journey from orphanship, which sin put in our lives, which brokenness, and the master of sin and the enemy does in our life, and he's calling us to walk in sonship. This is not my list. It's from a guy named Jack Frost. Not the movie character. And I'm just telling you, I want to go through this list. I want to just highlight a few. And I would ask you to, in humility, say, where are you? And I want to call you to sonship. Because we can talk about sonship as a principle, but I realize unless you say what it looks like, most people don't get the concept because it's so foreign to the world. What about the third one? Theology. It says, well, the spirit of an orphan is we live by the love of law. Every legalistic reality is an orphan reality. Every legalistic mindset is because behind that is an orphan understanding of the God as a master who you keep jumping through hoots to satisfy and you never will satisfy. You cannot satisfy the law ever. But a son lives by the law of love. I am loved so I can love. I am forgiven so I can forgive. I've received grace so I can give grace. It's a completely different system by which we operate. The problem is we get saved and we are so fashioned by this thinking of the year after year of the fashioning, of, of fashioning. God says, I've got to get in and transform your, your minds. So Ephesians says, you want to know the will of God? Because that's every prayer, every Christian prays. I want to do the will of God. Well, he says, start by renewing of your mind, ongoing, every day, in every situation. We are moving from orphan to son. What about security? Orphan reality, ongoingly insecure, lacking peace. Am I going to be okay? In the anxiety, these things. And I'm not saying we all are on both sides of this thing all the time. I've never met someone who has got this perfectly. Well, I have. His name's Jesus. But a son rests. Sir, do you, are you able to rest? Because of the promise to the sons of God. Need for approval. This is a big one. And we think it's just with man, but it starts because what we're doing with man is the very way we're interacting with God, is that we're constantly striving for approval. And we see it in the church. I've been in the church for 25 years. And we find people kicking out, they serve in the church for 10 years and they get upset because they serve and they gave their best years to the church. And I'm telling you, the reason they were doing it is because you were doing it for the church. You weren't doing it just to please God. We don't have to strive because we never strived to receive the grace. We did nothing for the cross. We did nothing for freedom. None of us did. 
Are you striving in your relationships? Are you striving? We all do sometimes. And the moment that we strive, in that moment, we've forgotten this thing. What has he called me to? What has he spoken to me? And jealousy occurs in the church because I want that portion. I want what Greg's got. I want his family. I want, I want why has God not blessed me like that? No, son, settle. You've taken your eyes off me and my plan for your life, and you've put them on someone else. Settle. We all do it. What about our motives? Well, an orphan must be. I must be holy. I must walk this life. I must do these things. Otherwise, the master is going to get angry. Where a son, a son just wants to. He wants to be holy. He wants to love his wife. He wants to honor people with his word because he wants to live to please God. It's completely different. Here's the challenge. It can look the same. It can look exactly the same. Some other things. What about peer relationships and us dealing with each other? Well, when we're an orphan, it's constantly competition, rivalry, and jealousy. And when it's sonship, it's the next slide, humility and unity. You know that. I know that. I told the guys this morning I, I was very small at school. Very, very small. Like in 220 boys in standard six, I was second smallest, and the smallest guy's name was Sishi, and he was a midget. Which means you've got to come up with something big. So I went big, and it was called my mouth. And I used the deformity of my mouth to break others down so I could come up. And the very thing that God would call me to use to bring people to freedom, the Spirit of God had to reveal the grace of God in my life so that I could find freedom and bring freedom to others, to the very thing that I used to bring brokenness. We're all on this road, all the time. All the time. So the next one, how do we handle others' faults? Well, as an orphan, we bring others down. We, we ridicule and we call it joking. We call it many things. And I've been the worst. Like Paul said, he was the worst. I'm telling you, in this area, I've been the worst. And God says, no, my sons build up. They encourage. They love. I'm just giving you hints. How do you deal, how do you deal with someone correcting you? Johnny, how do you deal when a brother comes up and says, actually, Johnny, you spoke too harshly to your wife? Oh, get away from me. Who are you? I saw you speak to your child the other day. Or is it, thank you, brother. I know you love me. Thank you for grace to speak. Just giving you signs. And let's jump to the last one. As an orphan, we keep fighting for what we can get. And the picture is the, is the lavish table of God with orphans sitting around and just grabbing because they don't know if it's going to be replenished. They don't know behind the scenes is the kitchen of heaven and the grace of the Father that keeps pouring and pouring. They don't trust that grace that keeps pouring and pouring. So God was good to us today, but will He be good to you tomorrow? He forgave me today, but will He forgive me tomorrow? So we live like orphans and we try to store up today and we can never pour out in our lives and we can't give to our families, we can't give to our friends, we struggle to give away our money, our time, our possessions. Because we don't understand the grace of God that keeps flowing, keeps flowing over our lives. A son sits at the table and eats today's portion. 
I believe this was something what God was teaching the Israelites in their journey through the Exodus. Eat that much. Don't take more for tomorrow. He's trying to teach an orphan people how to trust him. An orphan people to realize he will provide every day. And he has to teach us. And we've got to see it in plain black and white words sometimes to realize how much orphan there is in all of us. There's a lot in me. But I want to know the Father as son. As a son. Stu, why don't you go jump up again? I, I, um, I don't know how this came across to you. I, I believe at the very center of the gospel for the church to get it, this message has to be preached. Over and over and over again. I believe we could preach this once a month in the church and still freedom would be coming to the people of God. I need this message all the time. I'll be honest with you. I went on Facebook this week and a friend of mine in Durban is absolutely flying. From the grace of God, a funder, he's leading a church and, and God brought someone to just fund every dream they could ever have as a church. Just fund it. I thought, God, why can't you do that with me? Why can't we just bling this place out and have every option and buy next door and land? Why can't that be me, God? And then you get the list in front of you, you're being an orphan. I've been so good to you. Every day I provide, every day I walk. And I realize, hey God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you don't know this God, this Father. I don't know. Maybe you haven't responded. Maybe you've always seen Him as a master. You've got to jump through hoops because you grew up in a legalistic environment. Be it a home environment, even a church environment. Maybe say, I want to respond to the Father today. I've responded to the Master and I could never meet up. I always failed and I always fell short of the mark. But I want to respond to the Father. I'd love to pray with you. Is there anyone tonight? Why don't you lift your hand to me? Just give me a wave. Wonderful, Miriam. Is there anyone else? I want to respond to the Father tonight. Can we stand together? Lord, I thank you for this amazing lady. I thank you for the freedom you are bringing. And right now, I pray, Father, a revelation of your love for her right now. Right now. Ames, why don't you go pray for Miriam there in the pit. Just your grace and your freedom and your love. Wonderful. I'd like to pray tonight. You see, the, the challenge of the gospel is there is something for us to do. I lift my eyes. I choose to worship. I rejoice. There is something to do. And the lie in the church is that we do nothing. God does everything. But when I read the word, sometimes I've got to lift my eyes. Sometimes I've got to respond. And repentance is a thing only I can do. It is not just this cheap, I'm sorry, God. It is, I'm turning my ways. I choose to leave my orphan realities behind. I choose to leave jealousy behind. I choose to leave smallness. I choose to leave striving behind. And I want to know sonship, God. And I'm telling you it's a journey. I'm telling you it's probably not going to all fall away and you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. But it's a choice. So we need to respond. And then, if you really want the fullness of freedom, you've got to forgive 
some of the contributors to those lives that formed, that deformed you. For some, it's obvious. Sit with most men. Tell me about your father. And I've seen the biggest, strongest, hardest men just begin to weep. For some, it's leadership. For others, it's just circumstance. It was rape, abuse. You've got to forgive. You want to walk in freedom? You want to walk in sunshine? You've got to forgive. And then you've got to say, Father, will you father me? See, I've seen people go through step one and two, but they struggle with step three. My father is 73 years old. He will always be my father, and I will still refer to him as father. And we sometimes think we're beyond that. I'm telling you, we are always sons. Billy Graham, in the ripe age that he is, is still a son of the father. And he needs that intimacy of relationship. And we all need that. There is a moment of choice. Father, I want you. So I'm going to ask them to sing a song that I ask. And, and um, we're just going to enjoy God. Some of you, honestly, it's going to be incredibly difficult. You need to sit down, not sing a word, and enjoy God. Honestly. Some of you need to worship your heart. I don't know. But God's got to strip striving out of his church. He's got to strip brokenness so we can be a free people because there is a mission at stake because the whole of creation is crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. It's crying out. The world around you, your work colleagues, your family you have Christmas with, they are crying out for the son inside of you to be revealed. They don't care about the slave because the slave cannot show them freedom. They want the son. So receive grace tonight from the Father. Respond to him. Can we lift our hands? Just close our eyes because we're so easily distracted. This can be a moment of freedom. I pray, Spirit of God, you are here. Reveal Jesus to us. Reveal the Father to us right now. Just receive grace. Receive grace. Let striving come off right now. Striving to come off. To come off, young men. Come off, young men. The lies and jealousy and comparison, the curse of comparison to come off of us now, Father, I pray. Come off of us, that we would be those who celebrate others' victories, who celebrate others' successes, God. Right now. Shake the lies out, Spirit of God. Strip them off, I pray, Spirit of God. Right now. Right now. Spirit of God is here. Right now. Right now. Some of you, as I told that story of that man where only two kids went on holiday, some of you, you can relate to that. It's brought deformity. You are no different to that little girl in a wheelchair just getting by. But the wheelchair will not bring freedom. Jesus brings freedom. Just receive grace.